Welcome to Courage and Spice. This is the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'll share evidence-based resources and teach you proven coaching tools to help you transcend your self-doubt. I'm Sass Petherick, a master coach and founder of the Self-Belief Coaching Academy. I'm so glad you're here. Let's do this. Well, hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. This episode is about love and self-doubt and attachment theory and burgers. (laughs) So if you're kind of sad at the prospect of being alone forever or terrified of settling for someone you don't really even like anymore, or if you're convinced that there is only one true soulmate out there for you, if you're dating complete asses, or insta-stalking your ex. If you feel like the entire model of coupledom forever is just not for you, then pull up a chair, grab a cup of tea, listen in close. This one is for you. This episode came out of a dinner that I had recently with some close-knit friends. I realized just looking around the table that only two of us are in heterosexual marriages. Both of us is the second time around. Another is consciously uncoupled and happily co-parenting, and she's also dating and really not looking for a serious relationship. One is engaging in what we've called ethical non-monogamy, so she's dating different people at the same time, they all know, there's no strings. And one is pretty happily single and focused on building her brilliant business. Two of us are parents, and one of us has dependents at home. So all different permeations of relationship status. And it got me to think a bit more about relationships, about the intersection of self-doubt and love, of how complicated it can be, how many choices we actually have, and also why we want what we want and why we don't often get what we want. Why, as Charlie says in the seminal movie, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, we accept the love we think we deserve. I'm fascinated by this intersection between self-doubt, love and relationships and the ways that we kind of make sense of our experience. Uh, I have to say this has come up so many times, dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the years in coaching sessions. And I just think it's a really interesting topic. I hope this is going to be super helpful. I just want to start by saying I am by no means an expert on attachment theory, but I've read about this. I've studied it. I've looked at it in terms of its relationship with self-doubt. And I think I've got something that I can offer you just to throw into the mix. So I want to talk about the ways that we show up in relationships and how attachment theory can help us make sense of that. But also I want to give you some reflection questions to just noodle on. Some ways of looking at your relationships from a different perspective. And we'll just see where we get to. Okay, so let's start with this idea of love in our culture. How we see relationships in our culture. Because we're kind of obsessed with it. We're obsessed with love. But we've learned how to love from our parents and rom-coms, right? <laughs> and, and also from our culture that wants us and profits from us following the script. 
right? Find the one, get married, have kids, get a mortgage, continuously buy more stuff to distract yourself from the gnawing discontentment of adulthood. (laughs) Maybe it's slightly different to that, but these are flawed models of love. There's quite a narrow view of love in our culture. So no wonder we find it really hard to discern what we even want when it comes to relationships. Like, do you just need to start treating dating like a job or maybe go to couples therapy or just work on yourself? Find a way to love them as they are or find a better app. Maybe you need to get divorced or decide you're going to date many people at the same time or find a backup crush or learn how to love yourself or just have a wild love affair with someone deeply inappropriate. I feel all of that so much because I've done all of those things. This is me in my 20s and 30s and some of my 40s. No wonder I used to drink. But I think it's because the truth is love is hard. It's one of the most emotionally complex things we ever do. We're trying to create often a pretty deep and at least meaningful connection with a person we admire and love and respect. And that takes grit and courage and humility and vulnerability and massive amounts of self-awareness it's a full house of psychological risk so no wonder our self-doubt gets really twitchy like any risky endeavor self-doubt is going to try and protect us to keep us safe from heartbreak from rejection disappointment criticism judgment from success from complexity And we've learned how to protect ourselves in relationships, how to stay safe, since we were teeny babies. We learn how to behave so we get the attention and acceptance, get our needs met, that we get to access love that feels safe for us. And over time, these lessons become pretty automatic. We learn how to show up in all kinds of relationships. We tell ourselves stories and make decisions. I'm this kind of person. I'm needy. I'm independent. I'm the fixer. So we give ourselves labels based on our memories of the experiences we have in relationships. And attachment theory helps us to make sense of this. It's a body of knowledge from psychology that helps us to understand more about the patterns of beliefs and behaviors for how we attach, how we connect to other people. And the kind of quick and dirty overview of how people show up to relationships that you might recognize is avoidant and anxious. So some of us are avoidant and avoidant folks want intimacy. They seek it. And then as soon as they get it, someone is close to them. They tend to freak out a little bit. So people develop an avoidant attachment style when they learn in infancy that they cannot depend on others to soothe them. So they solve that problem by unconsciously deciding, often before they can speak, that they won't ever become dependent on anyone. They decide it's just them forever. So when people get too close, they create some distance. Now, on the other side of the coin, it's the exact same coin, by the way, are the folks who are anxious in relationships. So they usually connect quite fast. And then their dumb childhood trauma will show up and it's the same thing. They're a bit frightened of intimacy only for anxious people. When someone gets close to them, the only thing that makes them feel better is more closeness. So they tend to get a bit needy and clingy. 
And many of us are in these really incompatible dynamics where we seek out the kind of attachment style that's likely to stir up our own because that way of attaching feels an odd way comforting and familiar. But then we blame the other person and feel like we're being persecuted, right? And in reality, many of us are just looking for love in the wrong places, right? I want love, but I keep getting all these clingy people who need so much from me. Or I want love and I keep getting all these avoidant people who aren't emotionally available. And we just end up in this very incompatible, frustrating dynamic that leads to a ton of dissatisfaction and heartbreak. And my friend Jessa has this perfect analogy. I told you there'd be burgers in this episode. So think of it like this. If you went into a McDonald's and said, I would like one Whopper, please. And the person's like, well, it's a McDonald's. And you go, okay, but I came here for a Whopper. I want a Whopper. Why can't I have the Whopper? All my friends have Whoppers. I can't have the Whopper. And the McDonald's person is like, uh, this is a McDonald's. Uh, we don't serve Whoppers. And it's like, well, I deserve a Whopper. I want the Whopper. The McDonald's person is like, no one says you can't deserve it, but we have Big Macs. I can give you a Big Mac. The Big Mac is all I have to give. And then you have a decision to make. You're like, well, I'm at the restaurant and they're not capable of giving me the Whopper, but they've offered me a Big Mac. I can take the Big Mac because I'm terrified of having nothing and going hungry. So I take the Big Mac and I think, well, maybe I'm just not worth a Whopper. I never get the Whopper. Only other people get the Whopper. I must suck. This is why I keep getting Big Macs. Now, you could decide, well, I'm just going to go to the Burger King where they sell the Whoppers because they advertise that quite openly. Look, we have all the Whoppers. Instead of going, okay, McDonald's, when you're showing me you're only capable of giving me a Big Mac, I'm going to believe you. And because I truly want a Whopper, I'm going to walk my grown ass across the street to Burger King because that's what I know I want. Right? Charlie was right. We accept the love we think we deserve. So the solution here might be that you think you want a Whopper, but actually you just want to want the Whopper. Maybe you're afraid of what it will be like to have a Whopper. Maybe you're afraid that you're not really worthy of that. So you'd rather stand in this McDonald's and make it about the person offering what they have, which isn't what you want, right? At some point, you have to take responsibility and ask yourself, why are you trying to get a Whopper from a McDonald's? And this is not to victim blame. This is an opportunity to solve the riddle, to end this dynamic that's leading to so much frustration and heartbreak to stop accepting the love that you don't want i think this is such a good analogy <laughs> it totally works so it may be that you recognize yourself in those two styles that i talked about before the avoidant or the anxious attachment style now there are two other attachment styles. Secure, which is when we're pretty emotionally intelligent and capable of intimacy and boundaries and we can be alone and we can be with other people and we can kind of, you know, take interpersonal conflict and 
getting our needs met. We sort of take all of that in our stride. We're pretty emotionally resilient and we're capable of grieving and learning and repairing and moving on. So a secure attachment style is seen as the healthiest of the four different adult attachment styles. It's not because that people with a healthy attachment style don't have any relationship issues. It's about their approach to solving those those issues, to solving conflicts and dilemmas and challenges. How do they get their needs met? And we have the anxious attachers and the avoidant attachers. And then there is a fourth style, um, which is a mix of anxious and avoidant. It used to be called disorganized. And that's reasonably rare, like you're much less likely to experience that style unless you have been unfortunate enough to experience a lot of trauma and grief, abandonment, abuse. With a disorganized or fearful avoidant attachment style, you're really likely to fear any kind of intimate situation and feel quite suspicious of other people's intentions and words and actions. Usually a lot of inner conflict and a simultaneous kind of desire and resistance of intimacy. It's, a, it's quite a complicated uh, state to be in. But some things that can really help is that most of us have a mix of styles. And if you look on Instagram, for example, under the hashtag attachment styles, you'll probably see a quadrant with the four different styles depicted. But I found it more helpful to think about attachment as a spectrum with a secure, healthy attachment in the center, heavily anxious at one end and heavily avoidant at the other end. And then you sort of get a sense of where you're at and where your partner's at and the distance between you. That's the gap that you both need to navigate. That's where you need to kind of meet each other. Now, the most important thing to know is that our attachment styles are not like a blood type. They're not fixed. So you can make completely different choices and create completely different relationship dynamics that feel safe and allow you to meet the other person that both of your needs get met. And of course, all our relationships are different. So the way we show up from an attachment perspective, tends to be situational and relational. Like we're all just mirrors for each other. So the distance between that healthy, secure attachment and where we are and where the other person in our life is will be different. But the important thing to know is that nothing is fixed. (laughs) Nothing at all is fixed. But the thing is that I think most of us don't go into relationships with a Scooby-Doo clue about attachment styles. And particularly if, like me, you grew up in the 70s, 80s and 90s, we were just flying blind. We'd meet someone and it was like, hey, I like Nirvana. You like Nirvana? This is perfect. And then we just go get some idea about being rescued from all our own shite and having one at life. And a lot of times we ignored a ton of worrying signs that maybe this person's love of Nirvana is not going to be able to sustain our love. It's not going to be enough. We don't even question if we have the capacity or the energy to be with another person. And it's super helpful to just look back on those early signs that maybe this person wasn't quite right. It can really help with a a kind of healthy letting go of relationships that you're still kind of 
maybe ruminating over. I can remember admitting to my therapist that my ex-husband told me on our second date that he didn't ever want to leave New Zealand or travel or pretty much grow in any way. And I just thought, well, I'll change him. And instead of going, huh, maybe he's not right for me. We threw the most expensive party ever, made our solemn vows before God and lied in front of everyone we knew that we would forsake all others and love each other till we died. And everyone else was like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. This is so sweet. I love your frock. It's insane, right? (laughs) But everyone lies on their wedding day. We can't authentically promise to love someone forever, unconditionally. But this is heralded as the success story in our culture. It has been for millennia. But maybe we want to get off that train and start building our own tracks, right? Maybe we want to stop seeing marriage as the nexus of relationship success. Because I can tell you, I know a lot of people who are married who are not absolutely fulfilled and happy. Maybe you're one of them. So let's talk about how to create more psychological and emotional safety in relationships. How to start interrupting some of those patterns of behaviors and and the ways that we're attaching and the ways we're showing up to relationships. How can we just gently start to look at what is working and what isn't? So I have three questions for you to ask yourself just to figure out some of the patterns that may or may not be working for you, some of the the ways you're attaching, the ways you are showing up to relationships, if they don't feel satisfying, healthy, good for your soul, then this is an opportunity to just start to gently inquire on what might be going on for you. These are questions that I would be asking you in a coaching session to try and unpick some of what's happening. So the first of three questions, do you like how you're showing up to your relationships? And I just really encourage you to get super honest with yourself. You might want to consider it. What are you expecting other people to give you in relationships? And is that fair? So this question is really about looking at your own needs in relationships. Like what do you need to feel safe? You can think about what are the friendships and connections that feel good to you and what are the conditions that are present there. This is going to give you some insight in what aspects of your belief system when it comes to relationships, what needs to be healed, what needs to be maybe understood or made some peace with and Who could help you with that, right? But just articulating, do I like how I'm showing up to relationships? What what might I be requiring from other people that they just can't give me? Are you in a McDonald's requesting a Whopper and feeling deeply frustrated because no one has the capacity to give that to you? Maybe you need to go to a different restaurant. Okay, second question, what do I need to share with my partner? So if we want love and intimacy, connection, to feel safe, we need to normalize conversations where we share this. And it can be a bit like, 
Hey, you know what? I have what's called an anxious attachment, which means I need quite a lot of reassurance. And this is not your responsibility. It's mine. But as someone who is getting involved with me, this need is probably going to be present in your life. So if you're someone who like dodges and weaves and plays and you really like to have a pretty open thing, that's cool, but it's going to be really tricky for me. So I promise to take responsibility for my stuff, but this is going to be present for a while until there's a bit of a baseline of trust between us. Cool? Like, this is the kind of conversation, right? The old pattern is to never have this conversation. Text them, and when they don't text you back, get resentful, and you pick fights in a bid for some reassurance, and then you break up to test them, and oh, it's just that awful dynamic that we can get into when we're not just being really open. So the thing is, that's going to probably feel pretty vulnerable to say those things, so you can practice it. Practice it with friends first. But the thing is that if you are who you are and you ask for what you want, you're going to see who they are. They're going to show you what they can offer you. And it just means that you don't have to game it out in your mind where you get some fantasy version of that person. So if I do this, then they'll respond in this way. Like, you just don't have to do that. And it's not fair on either of you. And sometimes you'll find that this can't work because you just have different needs. And maybe they'll be like, whoa, I'm freaked out. Suddenly you're a stage five clinger and they will, you know, you won't see them for dust. There'll be a tumbleweed after them. In which case, at least you know, because that was never going to work out if the first time you're vulnerable and honest with them, they skedaddle. It's good information, however painful that is. Third question, do I want to be in this relationship right now? So is this person right for me right now? What is it that you want from a relationship? And is this person the right person to give that to you right now? Right, so it could be that you're not even looking for a life partner. You're just looking for some fun and you really love hanging out with this person. If you were ready to to kind of make it a bit more serious, this person is not that person and you both know that and it's cool. But it can be that we try to create a fantasy in our minds that this person will somehow change and so we fall in love with their potential. But the person that you're currently with, if they remained the current version of themselves forever, that would not be okay. That would not be what you were looking for. Because the thing is, there are so many choices about the form our relationships can take. But Jerry Maguire was a dick and no one exists to complete you. Your partner is their own autonomous being with their own struggles and their own traumas and their own stuff that they're here to learn. And the same is with you and you just get to be with them. You get to know them and you get to talk to them when they're available to talk to you and you get to hang out with them when you both want to do the same thing. And maybe you have five or 15 of these people in your life for different chapters of your life. Maybe you just have one. But you don't have to decide that in a hurry and you don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to try and secure something. Because none of that is going to make you feel secure and safe anyway. Remember, there are so many people who are married who are not secure, safe, happy, fulfilled. So three questions to play with. Do 
Do I like how I'm showing up to relationships? What do I need to share with my partner? And do I want to be in this relationship now? These questions are probably going to reveal quite a lot to you. And the thing is, there is a massive risk in letting people into your life, into your heart. But the stakes are going to feel even higher and the risks more magnified if you don't like yourself. Because then not only does that person have the work of being themselves, you're requiring them to do your work too. And that will eat away at love and trust. So the risk is always going to be there. But true vulnerability is, I'm just going to let you see all of me today and you may leave me tomorrow. True commitment is, I'm going to commit to letting you be yourself and letting me be me. Even if that means we grow in a different direction. What a commitment that is. What a commitment to say, I love you so much that if it's in your best interest to grow away from me, I'm going to let you do that without villainizing you or manipulating you or trying to stop your growth, without convincing you that somehow you're bad or you've failed me. Commitment is like, hey, you're my favorite. Do you want to hang out while we're still each other's favorite? And this is the thing, over the last couple of years, as Ash and I have been through a restructure, right, we went right to the edge of deciding if our marriage should end. And what I've really learned and what I keep learning is that healthy adult love partnerships, interdependent partnerships, are kind of boring because you're responsible. You're responsible for speaking up, for asking for what you need, for recognizing what the other person can't give you. You're responsible for acknowledging your feelings and whether or not those feelings are connected to past events or to this moment right now, to this person right now. You're responsible for repairing when you project your stuff onto the other person or you're just unfair or you're just a dick. And you're responsible for letting yourself be known and for loving the other person as they are and as they change and grow. And if you decide that the commitment is no longer what you want, you're responsible for communicating that. It's so easy and so hard, (laughs) right? And the thing that I've really got in an embodied way is that any of this is only possible if we commit to the relationship we have with ourselves. Right? Nothing has to exist forever so that you can prove to yourself that you are enough or wanted or good or worthy. Like that's a truth you have to claim for yourself. No matter what any of our relationships are with other people, that is an inside job. And as soon as you raise your standards, as soon as you decide... I am worthy of being loved for who I am because I like myself enough to require that. You won't ever find yourself in a McDonald's trying to order a Whopper. You'll be like, oh, you don't sell Whoppers here. I'm out. I hope this has helped. I want you to know how damn easy it is to love you, how lovable you are. Hey, if you're listening to Courage and Spice and you like what you hear, would you mind doing me a favor and opening up the podcast in the iTunes podcast app? Just click on the icon for Courage and Spice 
and scroll down to ratings and reviews to share your support. This will help other people find the podcast and you'll absolutely make my day. I still am blown away that over a hundred people have left five-star reviews for this little podcast that's all about self-doubt. Who knew this was such an interesting topic? Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you.